0: Welcome to Storytime with Paul Doerr. This season of the podcast includes excerpts via live shows and in-studio recordings from my new book, I'm Leaving It and Other Stories. Some of the stories are true and some are not. I'll let you figure it out but they all hopefully have my trademark charm, wit, and profound wisdom. Purchase your copy of the entire book in paperback, ebook, or audiobook form at all major online booksellers. I also write a monthly newsletter that is both fun and insightful. To subscribe to the newsletter or for further information about the book, please visit PaulDoor.com. Today's story, I'm Leaving It. The sixth grade teacher did not know she had a student with a prominent nose. She was artistically inclined and attempted to inspire her young charges with her creativity. We were instructed to sit profile on a chair before an overhead projector. Remember those? As another student traced our head onto a piece of white paper taped to the wall. When it was my turn, I sat down, and the light flashed on, causing an extreme silence, the only sound the hum of the overhead projector. You could hear the proverbial pin drop, and a feeling of shock and awe came over the surrounding students, for they had never truly been exposed to the surprisingly raw power of a very prominent nose. Of course, in those days, it was not referred to as prominent. Big yes, massive maybe a Pinocchio-esque feature protruding from the center of my face, this comparison somewhat fitting in a silver-lining kind of way as I wasn't even a good liar. Although I didn't know it at the time, this was a defining moment in my life, the first time I was made aware of my big nose. As a child, you don't know that your ears are too small or your eyes are too big until someone else points it out. Those early years are perhaps the most contented you are with your looks because your physical attributes are in perfect proportion to the person in progress. I simply didn't know I had a big nose. Apparently, to find that out, all I needed was an art activity, an overhead projector, in a classroom of sixth graders. We colored and drew on our profiled heads, the idea to make a design that fostered self-expression, to explore who you were as a sixth grader. I colored mine completely black. My grandiose claim, as I quickly realized everything would be eclipsed by the nose, We gathered around the bulletin board as the teacher hung the profiles and students played a guessing game to distinguish who was who. Instantly, a girl pointed at mine and said, That's Paul. I already knew the answer, but I asked anyways. How did you know? She scoffed at my question and answered like it was stupid. The nose. This was going to be a steep learning curve. I have become proud of my very prominent nose. For a long time my nose was a source of contention between it and the rest of my face. A repressed insecurity, hidden away except for the fact that it was on display every day. Literally, front and center. Some feedback I received was that my nose looked okay from the front, but once I turned in profile, it was just too much. This feedback came from a kid named Jesse, around the time of the overhead projector drying who took me around during recess asking everyone who they liked better, him or me. Since he threatened most of the kids to say they liked him better, he won the competition by a landslide. But for the next few years, I took Jesse's suggestions to heart. The nose constantly leaks, especially in cold environments, the largeness leaving ample room for liquids and hardened asteroid-type mucus. And with constant worries, that one of those asteroids were visible around the rim. I rarely blow my nose in public as it makes a horrible honking noise. I don't want to scare small children. It's not the kind of pleasant and amusing honking you might find used as sound effects in a cartoon. More like out-of-tune bagpipes being played by an elephant and filtered through a sped-up foghorn. And hair. As I grew older, there was a constant battle to keep ever-encroaching nose hair at bay. Gross. I can see my nose without a mirror, the outline filling about 15-20% to 20% of my lower peripheral vision. When I worked with young kids who looked up to me, literally, they confirmed my fears when they remarked, You have a big nose. I laughed it off. One kid wanted to make sure I heard her. No, seriously, I could get lost in there. Around that time of the picture and profile was also when I started to figure skate. This did not do well for my already poor social status at school because, well, I did not know at the time, was not old enough to understand, that I lived in a society that was desperately holding on to notions of masculinity and femininity that taught boys to become men, that feelings and sensitivity were negative consequences of participating in a sport where I wore costumes and expressed myself physically through my body. A society where when I taught kids skating, we still found it necessary to reward little boys with truck stickers and little girls with ballerina stickers. These kids projected their confusion when they pointed at me and said, Earrings are for girls, or, Why are you wearing a pink shirt? Only girls wear pink. It wasn't until a few years ago when a teacher of mine sat me down and said that being sensitive and vulnerable were signs of strength, not weakness. To me, that guy was one of the manliest men I know. I was mostly a single skater, but did pair skating for a few years. For those unfamiliar, pair skating is where a male and female skater perform lifts, jumps, and spins together. And here is where figure skating, an object's moment of angular inertia, the object in this case being an elbow of a young girl, and the size of my nose came together in a perfect storm. When a figure skater is rotating in the air, they are going at speeds of upwards of 80 kilometers an hour. So when her elbow hit me, my nose snapped on impact. We were practicing a double split twist where the man, in this case me, throws the woman, in this case her, into the air. She spins around twice and he catches her, placing her on the ice. On the way down, I heard a pop and my nose immediately started bleeding as though someone had turned on a faucet. Pair skating is very dangerous, and we were taught to protect each other. If a lift was going down, our instinct was to get the person in the air back to the ice as quickly as possible. I must have gone into immediate shock, because I remember putting her down, but don't remember any pain. Just all that blood. I remember standing there on the ice, stunned. A parent of another skater leapt over the boards, I was rushed off the ice and to the hospital. I sat in the emergency room with my parents for five hours. A broken nose looked bad, but it was not life-threatening. I sat quietly, trying to stop the bleeding while holding an ice pack to my face. I finally got in to see a doctor, who came in with a chart, looked at me and said, Let's see, your nose was straight at one point, right? I was not in the mood for jokes. Come back tomorrow... And we'll get that straightened out. A real comedian, this guy. My nose used to be straight, but now the bridge pointed to the side. The next day, I returned to the hospital. I really hope they don't fix broken noses in this archaic way anymore. The surgeon dipped giant cotton balls into anesthesia and stuffed them all the way up my nasal cavity, a place that everyone, especially doctors, should know was exit only. I lay down, and they brought in two orderlies. The orderlies stood on either side of me, and each grabbed an arm at my shoulder. The doctor appeared over top of my face and put his fingers on my nose, and you know how they used to fix a broken nose? They broke it back into place. Slowly. When it initially happened, it was fast, like a punch in the face, or, in this case, an elbow to the face. The doctor proceeded to physically move my nose, and I started screaming. Whatever kind of painkiller they were using, it wasn't working. The orderlies were big men, and I was a teenager, but they were still having a lot of trouble holding me down. The doctor would move my nose over a bit, stop, look at it, press it over a little further, stopped again, looked at it. This seemed to go on for an eternity. Finally, he stepped back and said, Looks good to me. They put a cast on my face that covered my nose, forehead, and cheeks, and sent me home. I'd have to keep the cast on for three days. Three days of going to school wearing the equivalent of a neon sign on my face that read, Look at the size of this nose. How was I going to explain this when I went to school? It wasn't something I could hide. There was a giant cast on my face. And it didn't happen in a cool way. A hat was the answer. A disguise that could shield me from ridicule. I never blamed the split twist lift. I blamed the nose. Back when I went to a Catholic school, we had to take our hats off in class. Now I was in a public school, and this rule didn't apply, thankfully, except in geography class. The teacher didn't have a cross hanging on the wall, but she insisted we took our hats off. I went early to the classroom and asked if I could have permission to keep my hat on, for obvious reasons. She graciously agreed, and I took my seat in the back row, out of sight. At the beginning of class, she made an announcement. Usually, I ask students to remove their hats, but I'm making an exception today with Paul. It's like I was back in front of that overhead projector. I started thinking about famous noses, people who leveraged their most distinctive facial feature and who didn't seem to be compromised by it, in fact were known by it. The most famous of all, Sereno de Bergerac, apparently fought 1,000 duels over nasal insults. George C. Scott's nose played General Patton. Ringo Starr was a drummer in the band that redefined music. Chris Martin's nose didn't stop him from pretending he's Bono. Barbra Streisand was pressured at the beginning of her career to get plastic surgery, but stuck by her nose. Good decision. Look what happened to Michael Jackson. But still... These famous noses only raised my hopes for a limited amount of time. Their nose is a kind of amusing afterthought. In an interview with a late-night talk show director, it was revealed that Chad Kroger's entourage instructed the crew to avoid filming the singer in profile due to his nose. This type of shame can only be matched by anyone caught in the audience at a Nickelback show. Ricky Gervais, unlike Kroger, had David Bowie sing a song about his pug nose. He embraced his imperfection. Still, there were no superheroes with a preternatural sense of smell, no crime fighters named Hound Dog that solved cases by smelling out their adversaries. After my formative years, I tended to look at people straight on, which had the curious side effect of them thinking I was very interested in what they said. Most of the time, I wasn't. And then something else started happening. Although my nose remained large, the rest of my features seemed to fill out, and I didn't really notice it as much. I realized that no one really cared. It was I who attached such significance to the unusual size of my snout. It wasn't other people that needed to get over my nose. It was me who needed to live with it. Besides, it wasn't a piece of clothing or something detachable, although that would have been nice sometimes. It was a part of me. One of the positive aspects of growing old is choosing my reactions, understanding that much of the baggage I brought to a situation was packed by me. Only through false blaming of how others perceived me, and my own revelations surrounding the ability to realign my own internal perspective, did I finally come around to accept much more than just my nose. I stuck my nose into the minds of others, placed unfounded judgments in every word they spoke, "'believed everyone wanted only appropriately-sized noses "'with nostrils that did not resemble black holes from outer space. "'My nose has become my most distinguishable feature. "'To paraphrase the sex columnist Dan Savage, "'every relationship fails until one doesn't. "'You learn something from each one. "'An ex of mine had a real thing for big noses. "'We even went to a show with her favorite comedian Dimitri Martin. "'She loved my nose,' and couldn't get enough of me digging it into the base of her neck. She christened it prominent, and I thought, what a perfect way to describe it. So like the boogers in my nose, but unlike that relationship, it stuck. However, if there is one thing I've learned, it's that if I ever break my nose again, no matter how bad it looks, I'm leaving it. Thank you for listening. Again, if you'd like to purchase a copy of I'm Leaving It or any of my other books, they are available at most online booksellers. The live performances were originally performed and recorded at the monthly storytelling event, Stories We Don't Tell. To learn more about Stories We Don't Tell, head over to storieswedontell.org. For everything else, please visit PaulDoor.com.